Welcome to the Rock Podcast. We can expect trials in this life, but we can also expect the promises of God to lead and mature us through those trials as we place our trust in Jesus Christ. In James chapter 1, we learn the purpose of trials in our lives to develop perseverance and maturity. As a result, we can face trials with joyful expectation, knowing that our faith is being increased and perfected. Let's join Pastor Adam now for a message entitled, Trial, Opportunity for Maturity. All right, I want to welcome everybody back to your seats. I gave you a few extra seconds of fellowship uh, just because I appreciate when I receive that. So, Also, I was in conversation and looked up at the timer and it was at zero, so <laughs> come up as well. All right, I'm going to add to my um, unconventionality here by bringing this over. Next time I'll have like a couch up here or something. <laughs> Um, as I mentioned, uh, uh, Pastor Jim was supposed to share tonight, that was the schedule, but in God's sovereignty, I'm supposed to share, and so that's what's happening tonight, and as I was thinking about uh, what, it, what it would be that I could share on, um, I've been kind of reading James a lot because that's where we are um, headed in the high school ministry, and so it's great to, you know be submerged into a text so much that it's kind of all you can think about, and there's a lot of great applicational things there. And so that's where we're going to be tonight, if you want to turn there, James chapter 1. James chapter 1. And I brought the stool over here because, because uh, you know, I don't, it's not going to turn into like a, a counseling session at all for from you guys to me, but um, I'm going to share a few stories from my life. So uh, Ronnie, Ronnie said that it's like, it felt like comedy hour or something, but it's not comedy hour. It's Bible study hour, but there is gonna, it is also story time. And so uh, that's what we're going to be doing tonight because I'm going to be talking about um, trials. I'm going to be talking about trials. And so, uh, you know, we all have trials and I have a few. And so I'm going to tell you about them. You're going to sit there and listen. <laughs> and... Um, you know, I, I like to talk, uh, as as many of you in this room know, and um, I also like to talk about myself, as many of you in this room do as well. <laughs> so, you, sh- you should be used to talk about yourself, not talk about me. Obviously, hopefully not. Um, and so, th- there's a few things. So, tonight's going to be more like a, a devotional testimony. So, I've, I've called it a, a, a devotional. And um, so it's, a, it's like a portmanteau. And so, um, but tonight we're going to be talking about, about trial and what is trial and looking at it as opportunity for maturity. Opportunity for maturity. And speaking of maturity, I've coined that opportunity. So that's opportunity for maturity is opportunity. So you guys can use that word when you're facing a trial and uh, it'll hopefully make you laugh in the midst of the trial. But James chapter 1, let's go ahead and turn there, and I'm going to read from verse 1 
to verse 8, just to get the context of the passage, but we're really going to focus on verses 2 through 4. Um, uh, but there's some, you know, there's some need to be in context here to understand verses 2 through 4 better. So let's start at James chapter 1, verse 1, and I'll read through verse 8. This is the word of God. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. And that's, that's the passage for tonight. But like I said, we're going to focus on verses 2 through 4. Um, before we get there, this kind of ties in. I, I had an opportunity to drive the students down to... Um, um, Calvary Chapel Bible College in Marietta. Ronnie and I, we drove down there on Sunday um, after first service, actually after the break of second service. We took three of the students, three of the seven students that uh, are attending there this semester down. We stayed overnight, got them settled into um, their, their dorms that morning, had lunch with them, and then took off. We actually have, I actually have a photo of us with them there in front of uh, the sign up there. says, Welcome to CCBC, and so there's a group, there's seven students, and those are some of their parents that are there, some family members, Ronnie on the end, there we go. Yeah, so it was a wonderful trip going down uh, and taking them down there, being able to share uh, some last exhortations and admonitions with them on the way down. Thank you for the photo. Um, And um, I got to talk to them about different trials that they might face while they're at Bible college, because it's like paradise, um, the, the environment is like paradise down there, but there's people there, so it kind of ruins it a little bit. <laughs> so I, I got to talk to them about, and they're there too, you know, and so um, I got to talk to them about some of the trials that the, they will face, and so it was great to be able to, to share my heart with them, and I felt like, you know, Paul talking to the Ephesian elders before he was, uh, uh, you know, heading off or whatever, and we wept and got on our knees and prayed. No, it wasn't that emotional, but, um, but it was pretty emotional. It's great to, to have them go down there. So continue praying for them because that's a wonderful opportunity for them. I'm really excited. I told them, you know, it's a privilege when you can say to your students um, that they're, they as incoming freshmen will probably be in more of the mature group in terms of the student body there than other students. And um, not just saying that because I'm biased, but because they, they really are. They're great students. And they have um, a concern for others' interests. And, and they have humility and maturity. And so it's wonderful. It's going to be a wonderful opportunity for them. But enough of them. Let's talk about me now. And um, I'm, going to talk, I'm going to talk to you about my trials. All of us go through trials. Right now, um, you know, I, I would say that, that probably each of us in this room has some trial or a set of trials that we're facing. And we're going to talk about... Um, expecting trials in a little bit. But first, I wanted to tell you, right now, I'm, I'm not really going through any major trials. I've definitely gone through harder trials than I am now. Uh, I definitely will go through harder trials than I am now. And there's definitely people who are going through 
harder trials right now than I am. That's for sure. Things that I probably may never go through. Um, but um, it seems like in, at this season in my life, I'm going through a quantity, a larger quantity of, of trials. And I'm just going to I'm just going to call out four and then kind of focus on two. And they're going to be kind of case studies to look at as we put, the, put together the pieces of this Bible study this evening. And so, like I said, these are very minor um, comparatively. Um, but I also want to make a point is that if we, are, if we have trouble um, or difficulty um, managing our reaction to trials when they're minor, we're going to have even more difficulty or trouble managing our response to difficulties when they are more major. And so uh, these are more minor difficulties, but I'm still even having trouble managing my response. I'm going to talk about that a little bit. So a couple, a couple of trials uh, that I'm experiencing right now are there's a few more ministry crises than usual. There's, other, there's needs that are going on in the youth group and in the church that you know, are, are genuine crisis situations. And um, and the pastors are doing a great job of, of trying to meet those needs um, and um, just experiencing more than usual. And so time management and the burden and concern for those individuals and, and those types of things are, you know, um, are vying for my attention and, and, um, and can be a trial, can be overwhelming. The other thing is chronic lower back pain. I have chronic lower back pain. Now it's interesting because I can like run and play football. I can play basketball. I can do all those things and never experience any ounce of pain in my back. But if I'm like shampooing my hair, my back goes out, you know, or I can't even put my socks on in the morning because my back is hurting so much. It's a weird, it's a weird trial. And it's like, it's like there is a constant dull pain, but usually it's like when I just like, one time I was brushing my teeth and I just went like this on the counter. And all of a sudden, my back went out. That's all I just went. And my back went out. So um, that's, you know, that's a strange trial. And those of you who have you know, chronic pain or deal with issues like that, it, it's just an ongoing trial. We ask the Lord to bring healing. Um, and sometimes he tells us his grace is sufficient. And we, have to make, you know, we can make it through those things and use those trials as a chance to, to grow our faith. But the two, the two I kind of want to look at as a, as a case study here is one from without and one from within because that's where tr- you know trials attack us from within trials attack us from without and I would say ultimately each every trial ultimately attacks us within because the trial is purpose to um, get a response from us in order to test our faith just as the scripture mentioned in this passage but one the the first trial I want to talk about is um, my wife's broken ankle. Now, that's a trial for her, of course, um, but sometimes I wish I was the one with the broken ankle because it's also a trial for me because I'm used to her, it's sad to say, serving me, you know, <laughs> hand and foot, you know, and now she can't serve me hand or foot because her foot's broken, so, um, she, you know, <laughs> that's just, you know, it's a trial, all you ladies and guys rolling your eyes like, man up, you know, but... It is. We like we had an we had an agreement when we got married. You know, I, I I will focus on serving others, and you focus on serving me, and everything will go fine. And she has not only broken her foot, but she's broken that agreement. So, um, 
It's caused, it's caused some issues. For those of you who don't know, she, she fractured her right ankle. We were at high school summer camp, and we went to the last uh, full day that we were there. We went up to this mountain lake called Let's Lake. Beautiful lake. We had a, a kayaking, canoeing. You can h- do a hike around the lake, and, but there was this rope swing there. And we're having fun going off the rope swing. Unfortunately, it was a little shallow closer to the bank. It got deeper as you went out, but it was still kind of shallow. So, um, you know, a bunch of people had gone off of it, and people were belly flopping and back flopping, and we're laughing about that. And so my wife, Katie, she's going to go off it. She enjoys those kinds of things. And so there's like a high place to go off and a low place to go off. And so more, the more daring people were going off in the high, high, high place, you know, and uh, the less daring people in the low place. Well, uh, she's daring in some things, but she went off the low place in this, this situation. And so the first time she went, um, she was wearing her flip-flops, and when she, you know, when she jumps in the water from a rope swing or off a rock or something, she has like one, one posture, and that's the pencil. You know, it's like, <laughs> like that. That's, that's the posture that she holds when she goes in. You know, not, not a cannonball, not a can opener, those kinds of things, just the pencil. So she did that, and when she did, she actually, the first time, kind of injured her left ankle. And uh, I thought it was because she had landed on the ground in, in the water. Um, and so the next time she went to jump, uh, everybody that was there saying, you got a cannonball, you got a cannonball. You know, we're all a bunch of like 10-year-olds, you know, saying, you got a cannonball. And so um, she didn't cannonball the second time. But the reason is, is because she thought that we were like telling her to do a trick, not like to preserve her, her bones and her body uh, by not hitting the bottom. And so um, she didn't cannonball the second time. And we were like, why didn't you cannonball? Well, the first time, she, what happened was she didn't hit her, her foot. She kind, of, she kind of hurt her left ankle. Um, and then the next time she broke her right ankle. But the first time, what happened was her flip-flop kind of like hit the water weird and like rolled her ankle on the surface of the water. And she never even hit the bottom, so... Um, she didn't get why we were telling her to cannonball until, you know, she like pencil landed uh, the second time and, and fractured her ankle. And so from that moment on, I knew that there was a trial coming. And so we loaded her up into the, we're out in the middle, you know, we were in the, like the middle of the shore, lake shore. And so we put her in a, in a kayak and one of the other girls uh, rowed her over to the, um, to where the vans were parked. And uh, she ended up staying that night and, um, you know, uh, she was in a lot of pain and we got home and she eventually, we thought maybe it was just a sprain because we had another sprain, sprained ankle there and somebody who came with a sprained ankle. So we just thought it was contagious and that's what people were, were getting. And so, um, sprained ankle. So, you know, there's not much you can do for a sprain. Um, but we weren't sure. So she ended up going and finding out through x-ray that, that she did have a, a fracture. And so now she's got a cast on it. And, um, What's been awesome, though, is since the time that she fractured her ankle, um, and this is just amazing about the body of Christ, there's been a lot of people that have surrounded us and surrounded her and have been there to help. Uh, several of the, the high school girls and some young adult girls have been there to help her with Dutro, our son, um, while I've come back to work. And so in some ways, like, I just came back to work, and it doesn't even feel like anything's different. Well, you know, school started and the high school girls aren't readily available and, and the help is kind of like thinning out and all of a sudden all the responsibility lands on me. And that's a trial. And, um, 
And I'm going to talk about that. I'm going to talk about that a little bit more as we go through this this passage. But I just wanted to give you the backdrop there. The trial from within that I've been experiencing, and again, this is a this is a, a minor trial comparative um, compared to things that I've that I've gone through before, and compared to things certainly that you guys are going through. But um, you guys know obviously about the earthquake that that happened last Sunday night. Well, interesting story. Um, four or five nights before the earthquake, um, well, let me tell you this first. I, I never think about earthquakes. Like, I, you know, when we talk about them in conversation, you know, when's the big one coming, that sort of thing. It's like, I'm talking about it, but I don't really have a concern. And I never, you know, my mind doesn't ever just go on and on about, you know, the dangers of earthquakes. But four or five nights before the earthquake, I was laying in bed, Katie was asleep, and uh, all of a sudden, out of nowhere... Uh, the thought of what if the big one happened right now came to my mind. So this is like four or five nights before the earthquake. And uh, I started to get anxious. My heart started to race a little bit and I just started thinking about it. We had never talked about what we would do in the event of an earthquake. And, um, you know, I, here I am with a, a wife with a broken foot and a one-year-old sleeping in the other room. And so I just started thinking, like, what would, what would we do if something big happened and, and would, you know, damage the home or endangered our environment? And uh, I'm just going to tell you what I thought. Now, it was like, you know, 1130 at night, midnight, and so I wasn't thinking too clearly. But this is the first thing I thought. Okay, I have to protect both Katie and Dutro. I can't get Katie out with her help because she's got a broken ankle and Dutro's no good on his own. So um, so this is what I'm going to do. <laughs> I'm going to push Katie out of bed, get out of bed, flip our mattress over on top of her. It won't be like necessarily smothering her. It'll be like half on the box spring, half on our dresser slash, slash um, uh, you know, nightstand and she'll be like under it in case anything falls on her. Then I'm going to sprint to Dutro's room. He's got like a heavy duty wooden crib and so I'm going to like flip his crib over on top of him and make it more like a prison than a crib and he'll be protected, uh, he'll be protected on the top by you know the, the heavy dutiness of the crib itself and then I'll figure out what to do from there you know. Or if I'm able to I'll somehow you know get Katie carried out while I'm being tossed up against the walls and the floor is rolling. I'll get her outside but what am I going to do about Dutra? I'll get him outside. We live behind an elementary school that's attached to a park and I just think in the safest place would be out in the field. There's two soccer fields at the park but the problem is that I'm, all th- I'm thinking this in like a matter of seconds right? The problem is is there's a chain link fence a chain link fence between us and the park and we have to go down the street in order to get to the opening to go to the field but only a few houses down there's a utility easement with a major gas line and a high voltage electric uh, um, high, high voltage power lines running down it I don't want to run towards the gas line because the biggest danger well one of the biggest dangers in earthquakes besides things falling is uh, gas or electrical fires and so I'm going to have to run towards those things and then get out into the field. And I thought about, well, maybe I'll just try to throw Katie over the fence instead of run down the thing. And I'll throw Dutra over the fence in some way that he can, you know, land in a parkour style and roll and not break any bones. I, was just start, I just started going crazy thinking about what I was going to do in the event of an earthquake. Well, I just thought, this is strange. You know, this came out of, from the middle of nowhere. And so, you know, why am I even thinking about these things? And so... I was finally able to calm down a little bit and, and uh, I went to sleep. Well, you can imagine the way that I felt when I woke up at 3.20 in the morning on Sunday morning and I, I felt the earthquake going. And it was so bizarre. So I like 
popped up and ran, you know, it's like, execute the plan. I, I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't throw Katie out of bed, so that's good, uh, because it wasn't severe enough yet, but I like popped up and ran to our doorway, not, you know, they say that if you find a good enough doorway, then you can be protected, but in, interior walls may not be so good because, you know, whatever. Anyways, um, so I ran to the doorway, not to, be, not to protect myself, but to be halfway between Dutro and Katie. And I just kind of stood there, and things are like swaying and moving and rattling in, in, in the house. And, uh, and so it calmed down. And then the whole time on my mind, you know, it's early too, so that didn't help. And uh, the whole time on my mind, I'm thinking, okay, trying to think, you know, how do earthquakes work? And there's a big one, and then there's some aftershocks. Is there ever like an aftershock before the earthquake? No, that doesn't make sense because it wouldn't be called an aftershock, you know. <laughs> I'm just going through my mind thinking about these things. I'm like, okay, the, the like the main one came through, should I expect another big one, you know? And I started to get anxious again. And, you know, like I said, it was so weird having four or five nights before that thought about, about the earthquake, okay? So um, I was laying in bed after the earthquake, just waiting. I went on, the, went on my phone and started searching for any information about the earthquake to see where it took place and if there was anything expected, any damage. And I started reading like, you know, what you should do to prepare for an earthquake, what you should do during an earthquake, and it definitely wasn't throw your wife out of bed. Um, <laughs> what you should do after an earthquake, you know, these kinds of things. And so, and so, you know, I'm just reading all these things, laying there, feeling kind of anxious. Um, the whole time, though, I'm trying to keep my composure because I know it's just a, it's, it, it, was an, uh, it was an irrational fear. First of all, I know that I'm, I'm in... God's hands and that he's not going to allow anything that hasn't passed through his loving hands and filtered to me not to say that I wouldn't get hurt but ultimately as we're promised a hair on my head will not be harmed in Christ's care and so I know that and so um, I was you know thinking about that and thinking about Christ's promises and the reality that I'm wrapped up in the promises of the Lord and the sovereignty of the Lord and um, you know that that kind of helped to calm me down, but I wasn't, you know, I don't even know if my, my wife knows these things because I didn't talk to her about it. I didn't want to pass my fear on to her. Uh, so outwardly, I was able to be calm, but inwardly, I was dealing with this an- anxiety. Well, as I'm laying in bed and trying, you know, trying to prepare myself to go back to sleep, um, I'm thinking, okay, I am about to leave today to take the students to Calvary Chapel Bible College. I have to drive through the Bay Area. That's going to be fun. And so, um, sure enough, as we're driving down, you know, I'm talking to the students, and in, my, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, you know, Richmond Bridge, Richmond Bridge, Richmond Bridge, Richmond Bridge, here we come, Richmond Bridge, you know. And we're going down the 580, and we're crossing the bridge, and I'm kind of like making jokes about the earthquake, and inside I'm like, <laughs> you know, like, start, like starting to have another panic attack. And um, I didn't tell them, because I didn't want to like, you know, like driving, and I didn't want to scare them, freak them out, you know. It's like, <laughs> you know, I start telling them all the scenarios. I'm going, okay, I don't want to be crushed for, for, by the bridge, so I'm just going to drive off as hard as possible, you know, and try to escape anything falling. No. Um, you know, I started thinking about those things, all right? And so we go down there. Everything's fine. We get across the bridge. We get through the Bay Area, and then we drop them off. The next day, we come up, um, and as we were getting to like the 580-80 interchange on the way up from Oakland, um, I'm on a phone call and I'm distracted and I take the 80 
into San Francisco and all across the Bay Bridge, and now I got to go across the Golden Gate Bridge, and so everything's just getting impounded and impacted. And so all that to say, you know, there is there's a trial coming from within. I believe it was spiritual warfare because, like I said, it's not nothing that I'm usually afraid of, nothing that I'm thinking about. And you know, in my mind and in my heart of hearts, I'm thinking this is ridiculous. You know, why? Why am I dealing with this? There's no reason. It's, it's irrational. Um, yeah, there, there could be a potential danger, but um, the scripture tells me not to worry about my life because I can trust in Christ. And so I just wanted to bring those two up because one's an example of a trial from without. One's an example of a trial from within. And like I said, they're small trials, but um, if we're ever going to learn to do what James is, Pastor James is telling us to do in the, the large trials... Uh, we have to be able to apply that in the small trials. And so let's just look at the text a little bit here. And um, like I said, it's going to be a devotion. So I know I spend a lot of time talking about my life and my problems. Um, but um, we're going to get through these three verses here. So verse 2, once again, it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Pure joy. Now the scripture tells us that we can expect trials. And I think that's the beginning of this lesson for us, is that we need to be able to expect that trials are going to come. Jesus said in John 16, he says, in this world you will have trouble. We will face many troubles. Now, in the same verse he says, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. And so we have some consolation there. But he's promising us that we will have trouble. If he says that we are going to have trouble in this life, Everybody has trouble, and then especially the Christian in dealing with our faith because there's a lot of adversaries. We have trouble, especially in that as well. And so everybody has trouble. Jesus promised that we, uh, as believers, as his disciples, will have trouble. And Paul and Barnabas also, they're quoted as saying in Acts 14 and verse 22, they they tell the... um, the churches as they're going through and encouraging the various churches upon their return in Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, they tell them we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. And so we can expect trials. We, we can expect that there's going to be trials. In fact, we need to expect that there's going to be trials because we've been told that there are. And it, when we do have trials, we shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't be surprised when we have trials, especially when it has to do with our faith, because Jesus told us that's how it's going to be. I talk to students who are in the public school system, and they tell me, you know, I ask, you know, sometimes I get to go out to lunch with them, or take them out after school, ask them how their day was, and they talk about how their teachers are just, you know, blaspheming the name of Christ, and it sounds, sounds to me, and this was my experience when I was at the JC many years ago, it sounds to me that every single public school um, classroom is a podium for uh, anti-gospel, anti-Bible, anti-God propaganda. And so, um, and so that's just the way it is when I talk to the students. And they're sharing these things with me. And some of them, a lot of them share with me and they're, like, they're confused about it. They're wondering why. Um, and I remind them, and I, we've, we just went through Hebrews in high school group. And so you know, there's f- lots of reminders in there about facing trials um, because that's why the book was written to the Hebrews. Hey, you've got trials in front of you. Don't, don't think that it's because you're doing anything wrong by placing your faith in Christ. It's just a guarantee that we'll face trials. Don't go back to Judaism. Don't go back to the things of the world. Persevere 
in Christ. And so that's what I've been telling the students. And so it's surprising to me that it's surprising to them that, um, that they're facing that type of persecution or trials in school. Um, but because Jesus said that's the way it would be. And not only would we face trials, but we'll face trials of many kinds. Everybody faces trials, believer, non-believer. We all have the general trials of life when things don't go the way we expected and there's some response that is being drawn from us as a result. Um, but as I said, you know, Christians also face, face uh, other challenges, spiritual trials and persecution, trials of persecution, things of that nature. In the context of James, that's exactly what was going on. Um, he writes, it says there in verse 1, he writes to the 12 tribes that are scattered abroad in the dispersion, the, the different captivities that took place uh, during the Old Testament time, the Babylonian captivity, the Assyrian captivity. And um, you know, the, many of the Jews were exiled and a lot of them came back to Jerusalem, but a lot of them were still scattered abroad. And so he's, he's writing to them to encourage them and also to the book of James or the, the letter from Pastor, or Pastor James to them is really saying, hey, this is what true Christian faith looks like. This is how a believer's life will naturally manifest. And so he's writing to these guys and they're experiencing, um, they're experiencing trials and they're experiencing persecution. And he, his audience is, is, he's writing to the Jewish Christians um, that, that are you know, scattered throughout the nations there. And um, and the Jewish Christians had a twofold trial. One, they were already oppressed by the Roman Empire as Jews, um, and so there was like political and um, economic persecution happening. And then um, two, the the Jews who became Christians began to be persecuted by their Jewish brethren, and so they were experiencing unique trials as well. In Hebrews, it tells us the types of trials that they were suffering. They were having their property confiscated. They weren't, nobody was going to them for business and nobody was um, allowing them to um, uh, come and have business with them. And so they were suffering financially and economically, spiritually, even their lives were being taken. And so physically they were suffering. And so that's the context of James. And what I love about the Bible, just as a side note, is it always gives us the extreme, you know. I can look at what James is writing the, the, this passage about to the, um, uh, to the Jewish Christians there and think that, you know, and just think, well, if, if there's hope for them in these trials, then there's certainly hope for me when my wife breaks her ankle. So, um, and, and that's the case. So that's one thing that I love about about scripture. Um, it sets the standard high in terms of the experiences. And no, none of us can have an excuse to say, oh, but, but my situation is different or my situation is worse. And so we're going to face trials. We can expect trials. And we're going to face many trials, various kinds of trials. And we can expect that. Now, I've got kind of a pattern of words here. I said that expectation, this expecting of trials, the expectation allows for preparation. I think that's part of why Jesus tells us, hey, you're going to have troubles and trials. One, don't be surprised when they come, but two, be prepared for them. Let your heart be prepared to, to um, rightly respond to these trials. And um, when I think of preparation, how, what does that look like for preparing um, if, if, if expectation allows for preparation in these trials, what does that look like? The first thing I think of is the Christian disciplines. How do we prepare for trials? 
by placing ourselves within the Christian disciplines. And by that I mean what is mentioned there in Acts 2.42. If you remember in the early church, it said that, well, I'll just mention them, the, the word of God um, will help us prepare for trials. Fellowship, what we're doing right now and during the break and throughout our week when we connect with each other, that helps us prepare for trial. Communion with God, being reminded of the work, the atoning work that was done for us upon the cross, that helps us with trial and prayer. Those are the four things that are mentioned in Acts 2.42. The apostles' teaching, fellowship of the saints, um, breaking of bread or communion, and prayer. Those are the things that we can be investing in in our life in order to prepare for trials. And I can tell you that each one of those elements is going to help us. I'll just give you a quick example. Fellowship. If Katie and I weren't in fellowship and she broke her ankle, there would probably be a, a lot less opportunity for us to receive help from the body of Christ. But as it was, you know, we're in fellowship here. We're surrounded by the body of Christ that loves Jesus and loves one another. And we felt that manifest around us as the body came to help pr- provide meals and, and uh, you know, provide support, helping Dutro, ha- helping Katie. Um, those are all wonderful results of having been in fellowship. I run into people who aren't in fellowship and have a need and they have nobody to go to. There's no, you know, there's nobody for them. We'll, we'll try to meet their needs, but, but it's the person who's in relationship with the body of Christ who typically is in a place that, to have their needs met in that way. That's one. And of course, the Word of God, you know, meditating upon the Word of God, memorizing it, there's nothing that can replace that for being prepared for a hardship. When you're in a situation and it's a unique, you know, whatever it may be, and something happens, and you've prepared yourself so that the Holy Spirit can, can bring to memory the promises of God because you've been meditating upon his word, that is um, a great preparation for trial, and it's been really helpful in my life. So expectation allows for preparation. Well, what does preparation do? Preparation allows for application. If we're prepared, then we can apply the things that we have Um, prepared ourselves with to the situation and what is the application here James tells us in verse 2 he says consider it pure joy that's the application when trial comes what are we to do he says consider it pure joy now obviously that's the hard part right that's not easy it's easier said than done Um, you know in in trials it's funny Example, in trial, you know, I'm sitting at my desk and preparing for the Bible study and I can't keep this, one of my commentaries, it's like, you know, paperback and it's wanting to fold on itself and so I'm looking for something on my desk and I find something, I grab it and I put it on the book so it keeps it open. Well, it's an easy button from Staples, you know. That was easy. And I set it there and, uh, and I turned and I like looked back at it, looked back at it and I noticed it was dusty. There wasn't any fingerprints on it. And, you know, not that I'm in the habit of always hitting the easy button, but it just reminded me, in trials, there's not an easy button. And that easy button hasn't been hit in a long time <laughs> because maybe of, uh, because of the various trials that have been taking, pla- taking place in my life. It's not easy. There's no easy button in trials. It takes work uh, to prepare ourselves to apply the command that's given to us in the Scripture. This is a command to consider it pure joy that's contrary to our human nature and it's very contrary to consider a trial um, 
pure joy. Now we give thanks to God, I believe, in the trial, you know, for the, you know, you can argue whether you give thanks for the trial or in the trial, you know, I think it's in the trial, God definitely allows the trial to come, Um, you know, when I think of giving thanks for the trial, it's like, you know, akin to, um, well, never mind, (laughs) never mind about that, Um, I I forgot what I was going to say, so you should forget it too, just... Erase it from, erase that I never said it from your mind. Um, But, you know, here's the hard part. This is an example, and it's a weak example, but it is an example for me. Uh, I joke around about about the wonderful way that my wife desires to serve me, and she, you know, and, and bless me when it comes to home things, you know, like I said, I made an agreement with her, I'm not going to step foot in the kitchen, I'm like afraid of the kitchen, um, I'm afraid, you know, of what I'll get myself into if I go in there, so um, she prepares meals for me and that kind of thing, well, with a broken ankle, it's hard for her to get around, and so she asked me things like, would you mind getting this for me, or would you mind doing this, or uh, feeding Dutro, you know, getting some plants out of the garden, garden's another thing, it's like kitchen and garden, they're just like, it's like, you know, I see the garden and I see like, you know, emotionally speaking, I see like snakes and wild beasts that want to devour me. Um, that's how I look. That's how I look at the garden. Uh, I just don't know what to do in there. I'm afraid I'm going to uproot a plant, and and then you know it's going to f- bring another trial in our marriage or something. I don't know. So um, she says things like, "Would you mind?" And so uh, you know, and eventually I mentioned to her, and it was it was mostly joking, but. Um, uh, she didn't take it mostly this way. Um, and I said, you know, you, you should word it differently because when you say, would you mind doing this? Literally, my answer is, yes, I would mind. <laughs> I would mind doing that. So I'm perfectly content sitting here on the couch just like you have been the last two weeks. And I know it's not your fault, but my flesh is coming out and I've been busy all day and I just want to relax a little bit. So if you really want me to do it, I'd be happy to do it. Just say, um, please go get this for me, you know, not would you mind. And so um, our flesh, our flesh does not like to uh, count anything pure joy except for sin. And there is no joy in sin. But there can be joy and there should be joy in trial. That's the command that's given to us. And so um, when we apply that joy and we apply it through the preparation of God's word and fellowship, and communion and prayer, then, um, you know, the trial is going to be there no matter what. There's nothing we can do about it except for respond in an attitude of joy um, by applying these things. So if, if expectation allows for preparation and preparation allows for application, an application then allows for determination. And we see in verse 3 it says, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, that determination the word perseverance, it's uh, hypomone in the Greek. It means steadfastness, constancy, endurance. And um, now, let me backtrack a little bit. In Katie's uh, injury, like, I got it, right? I got, okay, this is a test. This is a trial. I'm supposed to be willing to serve, and, I'm, and there's nothing I can do about it, so I'm just going gonna, gonna to start doing what I need to do to be a blessing to her. 
and, um, and not a burden, not more of a burden. So I started doing that, and I thought I was doing pretty good, and I was even just last night, or, yes, or two days ago, kind of you know, lamenting to her, all these things are happening, but I feel, I feel pretty good about it. You know, I, feel, I kind of feel like I'm in a haze, I'm kind of numb, and so, um, but I am doing, I'm responding in a healthy way. You know, I'm not losing it, I'm not going crazy, I'm doing the things that need to be done, I'm, I'm more, you know, willing and inclined to help you because that's what needs to happen in the situation. So I feel like I'm growing in that. I thought I was doing pretty good. And then I read this from Douglas Moo in a commentary. He says, this perseverance, this hypomone, is not a meek, passive submission to circumstances, but a strong, active, challenging response in which the satisfying realities of Christianity are proven in practice. And it was that it was that it's not a meek, passive submission to circumstances that kind of stood out to me. And I started thinking, okay, I thought I was doing pretty good, but I'm feeling kind of passive, you know, I'm just kind of taking things, and I thought I was doing good until I read this, but, you know, one man's opinion doesn't really count, so I'm just going to throw that out. <laughs> and then later on, I read Warren Wiersbe, and he said the same thing. He said, in the Bible, patience is not a passive acceptance of circumstances. I was like, these guys must have had coffee together right before they... <laughs> But right before they wrote this, you know, it is a courageous perseverance in the face of suffering and difficulty. And so it's like back to the drawing board, you know. I'm not only supposed to just take the trials that come and respond to them in a way that's not going to, you know, cause any more burdens for me or for Katie or for anybody else, but I'm supposed to, you know, be uh, doing, you know, spiritual jumping jacks when uh, trials come because they are a mark of, well, first, there's a witness involved, you know, how people are looking in on the situation, but also it's a mark of the maturity that's taking place in the situation, not to be passive, but to happen to the trials, not to just let the trials happen to you. I got this picture, as soon as I read this, I got this picture in my mind when I was uh, younger, um, I was a young boy with my friends. And I'll be honest, this happened last time I was at the beach too, so you can make fun of me. But uh, when I play in the water and uh, the, uh, the waves would be coming in, you know, and I like big waves. And one time or a few times when I uh, was um, playing in the ocean, the waves would come and, and we started playing this game where we look on the shore and we see all the people laying on the beach enjoying a picnic or sunbathing or whatever. And I turn around and I see the waves and I'm like, these waves are dangerous and they're trying to take out, you know, the human race. And so my friends and I would stand there and wait for the waves to come. And when they come, they would just punch into the wave, you know, as it hit us. And we punch into the wave. And, and not that we were expecting to like, you know, destroy the wave, it would just go calm, but, but what we were doing was saving the world through not letting the wave get all the way to the people, and when we punched it, it kept, it, it made it, you know, break, and then it, it gave up, you know, it's like, uh, I don't know, like, like shooting a buffalo, it's coming towards you, you know, shoot it, and it runs towards you still for a while, and then it falls down, and I just threw that in there now, because it's just a picture in my head, but I'm a youth pastor, I, it's, you know, this just happens, so, um, that's what we were doing with the waves. And uh, you know, that's the idea that I got with trials. It's like when trials come, I'm not supposed to just stand there and, and take it. I'm supposed to punch that trial in the face, um, spiritually speaking, in a joyful way to say this trial isn't going to bring me down. I'm going to be able to prove the steadfastness and the perseverance and maturity through, through this tri- um, trial. And so... Um, if, if expectation, if we expect trials, and that allows for preparation, and preparation allows for application, and application allows for determination, 
then I would say that determination allows for realization. Realization, as we see in verse 4, or really spiritual consummation, a completeness. Verse 4, perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And I think the idea here is really twofold. There's a work that's taking place every time we have a trial come into our life. There's a work that's taking place. And the trial is purposed to do one thing and one thing alone. It's purposed to make us more like Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. That's what the trial is there for, to make us more like Jesus, to bring us to maturity, to completion, to ultimately to perfection. Um, Because um, Christ was always perfect, and his perfection held fast through his suffering and through his perseverance. And we, if we're going to become like Christ, we also have to hold fast through suffering and through trials. So there's the idea as, as um, of there's the idea of as a trial comes and we stand there, and persevere through it, and consider it joy. We are growing. We are being sanctified. We are maturing in our faith. But there's another idea, and that's really the perfection that comes. There's the maturity that comes from after facing a trial, and I would say there's the perfection that comes upon facing Jesus, that day when we stand in his presence, and our perfection is realized. Right now, God sees us as perfect. He sees us as sanctified because of the work of Christ. There's nothing that needs to be added to that. There's nothing that we can do to add to the work of Christ that's been accomplished for us. Um, But in our experience right now, we are still being made perfect. We're still being sanctified. Um, We're being brought to perfection. Um, I think of Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6, one of my favorite verses since I became a believer. He who began a good work in you, that's the Lord Jesus. He who began, or God the Father, a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So there's a day when we stand before Christ and in our faith that day we will be made perfect. And part of that perfecting process comes through the trials that we face, considering them joy. What did Jesus do? It tells us in Hebrews that um, he uh, counted it joy. He looked past the scorn and the suffering and the shame for the prize that was held out for him, which was, this is a paraphrase, but it really is the recon- reconciliation of us to, to our God, to our Creator. And, and Jesus counted it joy as he suffered his trial. And he set the example for us to do the same thing. He's not asking us to do anything that he hasn't done, you know, ten, a hundredfold, infinitely well. Um, he's just asking us uh, to be available, to allow him to work in us, the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead to work in us and to help us consider it pure joy uh, as we face trials. And, you know, the end of verse 4, it says that at that time we won't be lacking anything. We'll be, we'll be perfect. We'll be brought to maturity, full maturity, full completion, not lacking anything. Um, if we don't have joy in a trial, it means that we're lacking something in our experience in that trial. We're lacking something. Um, and, you know, obviously the thing that we're lacking is a correct view of the trial, but more importantly, a correct view of who Jesus is, of who God is to us in that trial. And, um, you know, sometimes when I think about trials or the things that are going on, I just, 
am reminded of the promises of Scripture and the exhortation of Scripture to set our minds on things above, not on things below, to set our mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And um, that's what we need to do when we face trial. And then just like that hymn, you know the hymn, the, the old song, it says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much, God, for the way that you um, have revealed yourself, your plain and precious promises to us, God. You love us so much, Lord. Um, You've given us what we need through the power of your spirit, the tools, God, that we need through your your word that you've given, through fellowship, through prayer, through communion. You've given us the things that we need to be prepared for the trials that you promised would be coming. And Father God, you want to use those trials in our life uh, to do, just as I said earlier, Lord, you want to use them to make us more like Jesus. And so, Lord, it's, uh, it's contrary to our sinful nature to, to ask for trials and to be joyful when trials come. But we know, Lord, that just as we're told, those trials bring about perseverance when we respond to them correctly. And per- perseverance, when it is mature, when it is complete, will, will lead us to completion. So, Lord, we just pray, God, that you would give us the ability for, you, for the sake of your glory, for the sake of our benefits, for the sake of our own sanity in life, uh, Lord, that we would receive the grace, because you're giving the grace, but that we would receive the grace from you to walk through trials and in that time count it all joy as we look forward to what you'll work through that. We give you thanks for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please stand as we end in worship. Our last closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvertherock.org.